0: Today I'll be discussing tactics for talking about morality with a moral relativist, how you can respond to relativist objections and catchphrases, and the intolerance of tolerance. I'm Jason Dooley, and you're listening to the Thinking to Believe podcast. Welcome, friends and truth seekers, back to the podcast. We are in now part six of the series Truth Decay, talking about relativism In part four, specifically talking about moral relativism. Last week, I had got to the heart of the issue and offering a critique of the different forms of moral relativism, showing what's wrong with them, and there was a myriad of reasons to reject moral relativism as a moral philosophy. So if you missed that episode, make sure you listen to that because that is the heart of this series. But today, we are going to move on and talk about some tactics of how you can speak with a moral relativist and convey the truth of moral realism. I'll discuss how we can respond to various objections and catchphrases that are often offered by moral relativists, and then round out today's episode by talking about the concept of tolerance and intolerance. And I want to show how this concept has been turned on its head in modern times. So with that, let's go ahead and jump right into today's episode talking about tactics. It's not enough just to have the right knowledge you also need a tactful way to present that knowledge. So how is it that we can share the truth of moral realism with a moral relativist? How can you get them to see what's wrong with their view? Now, last week, obviously, I went through all the various reasons of why they fall short, and a lot of those, obviously, you could share with the moral relativist, but there's other ways of conveying this. And so tactically, the first thing I would suggest is to work to expose the fact that no one is truly a relativist. Uh, You want to convey that nobody can live out their relativism in the real world. And if you can get the relativist to see that this philosophy is not livable, then that will go a long way to showing them that it is a bankrupt moral philosophy. The fact of the matter is, all of us have moral beliefs, and we believe that at least some of those moral beliefs are true, not just for ourselves, not just for our society, but they are true in and of themselves, and they are universal. They apply to all people. For example, most uh, individuals will think that tolerance is a moral virtue, and everybody has an obligation to be tolerant. So while they may say they're a moral relativist, there are certain things that they believe are true in an objective sense when it comes to morality. What I would suggest is find some hot button issue that this person holds to and then push that button. So whatever they are all hot and bothered over, whether it be abortion rights, the homosexuality issue, tolerance, fairness, racism, white supremacy, uh, molestation, genocide. Find what concerns them morally speaking and then push that issue and make it clear. Well, if what you're saying is true, then there is nothing wrong with an adult male um, having sexual relationship with a child. Like you couldn't say molestation is wrong. You couldn't say that what Hitler did was wrong. You want to get them to see using an issue that's near and dear to their heart that even they themselves do not really believe that this is a morally neutral issue, that they believe it is wrong in and of itself. Another great way of doing this might be to ask them for a $10 bill or a $20 bill. And when they give it to you, either pocket it or you know, if you have a lighter, maybe burn it or rip it up to shreds. Now, Obviously, you're going to have to have the equal amount of money to give back to them after you've made your point, but you will see in their reaction that they think that you have done something wrong. So find ways to expose the fact that they are not truly a moral relativist at heart. Another tactic is when somebody objects to your moral position on something because they believe, you know, there is no moral truth, and they offer their own moral opinions instead, you could ask them, well, where do you get your morality from? What's the basis of your moral point of view? Any source that they might cite outside of God is just going to be arbitrary. It is going to be a relative source. So, and if they say, well, I make my own morality or society determines reality. Okay, well, say, you know, if your morality is your own invention, why should I care what you think about my behavior? If what you believe about my behavior is just based on your own subjective preferences, why should I care what you think? Essentially, the debate just argu- boils down to you saying you like chocolate ice cream and I say I like vanilla ice cream and you telling me I'm bad And I'm wrong because I've chosen the wrong flavor of ice cream. That would be a ridiculous argument. So if they make up their own morality, why should I care what they think? Third tactic you could use is to ask the relativist whether or not it is better to be tolerant or intolerant. And this, of course, is going to trade on the whole concept of tolerance, assuming that they endorse you know, the moral obligation to be tolerant. And if they say that it's better to be tolerant than it is to be intolerant, then point out to them that this assumes that there is an objective standard of morality by which they can adjudicate between these two positions. And to say that one is better than the other assumes this moral standard. So the very standard that they are saying does not exist, they are using to adjudicate between these two positions. If they say, well, it's not better to be tolerant versus intolerant, then ask them if it's not better, then why are you promoting tolerance rather than intolerance? Is it just entirely arbitrary? Is it because you just prefer tolerance? And what if I prefer intolerance? You've just said one's not better than the other, so why are you complaining and calling me intolerant if you don't believe that there is any difference between the two. If it's just your preferences, and that's just your personal point of view, and that's what you like, okay, well, why should I conform my preferences to your preferences? Again, it's just Baskin-Robbins morality. You choose your flavor, I choose mine. All right, the fourth and final tactic I'll offer today is maybe you could ask and say, well, if humans construct their own morality, either as social groups or as an individual, um, what kind of morality should we construct? A good one or a bad one? <laughs> and of course, if they say, well, a good one, again, that presumes that there is some objective morality out there and we have to conform our moral system to that good Standard that exists. But of course, that would also imply that there already is this moral standard out there. So if there is a moral standard, you can't invent your own. It already exists. You have to observe it, you have to discover it, you have to follow it. You don't get to make up your own morality. And what else could they say? Well, we should construct an evil morality? Well, that is counterintuitive. But again, even if they said that, it still would require some sort of objective. Standard, and that's the very thing that they deny exists. Let's move on now to some objections and catchphrases and how we can thoughtfully and graciously respond to them. I'll walk through about four or five of these, um, starting with the first one, which is if moral truths exist, then prove it to me. What are these moral truths? How could you respond to this? Well, the way I would respond is by pointing out that most people are aware of moral truths and they are quite clear to them. To the sane people, <laughs> there's not a question as to whether or not it is morally wrong to torture a child for the fun of it. We can disagree on you know, when these moral truths apply and you know, under what circumstances, but we all know what they are. Everybody knows that courage and love and tolerance are moral goods, whereas things like treachery and hatred, these are moral evils. We all understand that. There is no culture where you're going to see where um, you know, bravery is considered to be morally wrong and love is considered to be evil. Like You're not going to find a culture like that. In fact, I was thinking the other day how If moral relativism is true, we would expect not just that different cultures would have disagreements over morality, but that some cultures would have no concept of morality, no concept at all. That the idea of good and evil, right and wrong, would just be foreign to them. The fact that all cultures have a moral sense, that all cultures have a framework of morality, to me is good evidence that Indeed, there is a moral realm out there that we are in touch with that we know. As I've said in the past, it may be difficult to know certain moral truths that may not be as obvious as other moral truths, but all of us have a basic level of moral knowledge and moral agreement. Uh, You know, think about how you know, why was it that science was birthed in the Christian West? It wasn't birthed in ancient China or by the Greeks. Uh, It wasn't birthed in India. It was Christians. Why? Because Christians had a particular worldview that gave rise to the modern science and the presuppositions that underlie modern science. In the same way, you would expect that certain ideas would produce morality in one culture, but the concept of morality would be absent in another, and yet that's not what we see at all. But what about the idea of proof? I think that the very request for proof shows that there is a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of morality and moral truths. It doesn't make any sense to ask somebody to prove the existence of moral truths any more than it does to ask them to prove the laws of logic. In the same way that the laws of logic are these first principles and we know them through intuitions, the same thing is true about morality. We have an innate moral sense, and we understand the concept of right and wrong, and we have uh, knowledge of certain moral truths by mor- through our moral intuitions, in the same way that we have knowledge of the laws of logic through our logical intuitions. They're first principles, meaning that these aren't conclusions that we come to by you know, this process of reasoning, an inductive process or a deductive process. Rather, these are the tools that we use to engage in reasoning. You can't reason at all if you don't first have in place the laws of logic. They have to be uh, presumed, assumed before you can do any thinking. So you can't use your thinking to prove the laws of logic. You have to accept the laws of logic before you can engage in any sort of thinking. And in the same way, I think when it comes to morality, this is a first principle. These are intuitions that we have about truths of morality, and it's not something you can prove in any sort of empirical way or in a logical way. Um, You just see that it's true. In the same way that you have logical intuitions that allow you to just see that the law of non-contradiction is true, well, we also have moral intuitions that allow us to just see that raping a woman is wrong. And it wouldn't even matter if they're unconscious and they don't experience any negative physical or mental effects from it. We realize it would still be wrong. Now, sometimes it can be hard to figure out, well, why is that wrong? And that's some of the difficulty in moral thinking. But the fact that we have these moral intuitions, not saying that they're infallible um, any more than you know, other areas of knowledge, they're not always infallible. But these are just not the kinds of things that you can prove as you could maybe, you know, certain theories of physical science. But that doesn't mean we should be skeptical just because we can't prove it in that way, any more than we should be skeptical of our logical intuitions because we can't prove them. Objection number two. If moral truths exist, then why are there such sharp disagreements about morality? I won't spend too much time on this because I covered this in a previous episode. But real quick, I would point out, well, can you imagine somebody asking this question about mathematical problems? You can give a mathematical problem and you'll have different answers that people give to that same problem. But that doesn't mean that just because there's disagreements over that, that there is no truth or there are sharp disagreements among scientists about the nature of physical reality. They'll tear each other up, you know, arguing over whose theory is the right theory and what the evidence points to. But does that mean that because there are sharp disagreements among scientists that there is no truth about the physical world? Obviously not. You know, and then often people are not disagreeing on the moral principles. They disagree over the application of those moral principles. They disagree over the facts of the matter. How do do you apply the moral principles to the facts? Well, if your facts are understood in different ways, then you're going to apply the moral principles in different ways. And then thirdly, I would say that the reason why we have differences in moral points of view is because a lot of times our moral opinions are rooted in our moral desire. We want something. We want to do something. We want to justify a certain kind of behavior or desire, or attitude. And so we find ways to justify that, and then we come to a different moral position. So for those reasons and others, that's why I think there are moral disagreements. But as we said before, epistemology does not tell us anything about ontology. Just because there are differences in beliefs about morality does not mean that there is no morality to know in the first place. All right, objection number three. Don't force your morality on me. (laughs) Oh, I hear this one a lot. Don't force your morality on me. There are a number of different responses that you could give to this objection. And usually this is going to come in the context of, you know, you arguing for your point of view and maybe it's, you know, about abortion and you're making the case that abortion is morally wrong. And the response is going to be, well, who are you to force your morality on me? You know, keep your morality to yourself. Well, here's some ways you can respond. First thing you could say is, why not? (laughs) They're saying, don't force your morality on me. Why not? And let them answer because any justification that they give you is going to be an imposition of their morality on you. They're forced to state a moral rule. Usually it's going to be something like, well, you shouldn't judge or you shouldn't say that you know somebody's wrong. Okay, but then if it's wrong to say that somebody else is wrong, are you not telling me I'm wrong? And are you not forcing your moral point of view about whether we should tell other people they're wrong? You're forcing that on me. You're telling me you shouldn't tell other people they're wrong. Well, I thought that was your moral point of view. Why are you forcing your morality on me? No matter how they answer this question, it's gonna have some moral justification and they're gonna think that that moral justification applies to you. In which case, based on their own understanding of forcing morality, they would be forcing their morality on you. So I think that's the simplest and one of the most powerful ways of conveying it. But you could be more explicit and just say then why are you forcing your morality on me and then you they may be a little confused because they haven't thought about this so you can explain it and just say you know to say it's wrong to impose one's moral point of view on other people is itself a moral point of view that's their moral point of view and they are imposing that on you when they condemn you for violating it <laughs> They condemn you for condemning others. But, of course, they're guilty of doing the very thing that they say should not be done. A third way you could respond to this um, catchphrase is, well, how exactly am I forcing my morality on you? Because you're not really forcing anything on them. You're not imposing your morality. You are simply proposing your moral point of view to them. And then you're supporting that with various reasons. So if they can point out where your reasons are flawed or inadequate, well, then, you know, you can talk about that. But they shouldn't dismiss your, your argument simply because accepting it would mean that other people are wrong. You're not forcing your morality in other people just because you're saying that their moral point of view is wrong and arguing for your moral point of view. A fourth and final response is one that was offered by Peter Kreft, um, who said, I can no more impose morality on you than I can impose gravity on you. Both are objective features of reality that impose themselves on us. I am not imposing these moral values on you, but merely drawing your attention to what already exists. Objective moral values impose themselves on us in the form of moral commands and obligations. I think that's a great way of saying it um, because we're not imposing anything, we're just calling their attention to these moral truths. It's not an issue of force, it's not an issue of authority. We're not using power to make them do things, we're simply pointing them to moral truth. <laughs> If you find value in the thinking to believe podcast, chances are, you know, others who could benefit from it as well. So help me spread the word by sharing this podcast with friends and family. You can also rate my podcast to increase my ranking, thereby making my podcast more visible to others with your help. I can expose more non-believers to the evidence for Christianity and help more Christians to better understand their faith and how Christianity speaks to the pressing issues of our day. All right, the fourth objection is another common one. Who are you to say? But this is really just a challenge to your authority. And so you, tactically, you want to make it clear that I'm not the one claiming to be an authority here. I'm simply offering you reasons to believe that this is a moral truth. We're not claiming that what we believe is true because we're the ones who say it, but because there's good evidence to believe it's that way. So this isn't an authority claim. Our authority is not derived from ourselves. Our authority is derived from the publicly accessible evidence that's out there to support our beliefs. You know, when you're dealing with objective evidence rather than just subjective opinions, it doesn't make any sense to say, who are you to say? If somebody said two plus two equals four, can you imagine somebody responding by that saying, well, who are you to say? <laughs> well, because we recognize it's the realm of the objective, the only reason you would say, who are you to say, is if you believe that these are just subjective uh, arbitrary beliefs that people are holding. And it's like, you know, what's your authority to claim that your personal beliefs ought to be my personal beliefs? Well, we're not making a claim to, uh, or a subjective claim. We're making an objective claim. And that may be part of the way you respond to this objection is to say, I'm, I'm not talking about flavors of ice cream. I'm talking about mathematics. I'm talking about things that are objectively true. But it's not my authority that makes them objectively true. I'm appealing to the evidence. So let's not worry about that. You know, who it is that's telling you this, because I don't come to you in my authority. Rather, let's focus on the evidence itself. Another way you could respond is to say, well, who are you to say? 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 In other words, the person is challenging your right to correct them or correct somebody else, and yet by saying, who are you to say, they're correcting you. They're basically saying, you don't have the authority to tell other people what to believe, what is right and what is wrong. Okay, well, then you don't have that authority either, mister. Neither of us have had that authority, and yet you clearly believe you have the authority to tell me I'm wrong for telling other people that they're wrong. You think you have the authority to hold to the moral point of view that you hold to. So if they're going to challenge your authority, challenge their authority right back. All right, number five, you shouldn't judge. Now, I'm going to spend the next episode talking uh, about this topic of judgmentalism. So I won't spend too much time on it here, but let me just give you a couple of responses that you could give to this sort of a, a, a catchphrase. One, you could ask them, what do you mean by judging? Often people don't think about what they mean by these things. Now, usually what you're going to hear is judging means like, well, you're telling somebody else that they're wrong. Okay. But if it's wrong to tell other people they're wrong, then why are you judging me? You apparently think I'm wrong for telling other people they're wrong. This is self-refuting. It's hypocritical. So ask them what they mean by judging, and however they define it, they're going to end up refuting themselves, because they are going to be doing the very thing they're saying ought not to be done. Another thing you could say is, what's wrong with judging? And this sort of gets at the same idea, but just through a different tact, because now they're going to have to justify what is wrong with judging, and whatever they say about it, again, it's going to apply to what they are doing to you. Another way you could say this is say, well, are are you saying it's wrong to say someone is wrong? And if they say no, well, then, okay, well, then why did you raise the issue? If they say yes, then again, it goes back to, well, then why are you saying I'm wrong? <laughs> no matter how you approach this, they're going to be caught up because they are stating a contradiction. This statement just beats itself up. When they say you shouldn't judge, they are judging In the process. So, what do you mean by judging? Uh, Then, why are you judging me? What's wrong with judging? You know, is it wrong to say someone is wrong? All of these are great ways of responding to this objection. And now, last but not least, let's talk about tolerance. Tolerance has become the new golden rule. You know, it's tolerate others in the same way you would want them to tolerate you. And in fact, Intolerance is one of the worst sins that you can commit, you know, in a liberal leftist society. It's right up there with offending someone or hurting someone's feelings. This is one of the big sins uh, of the left. Even moral relativists will treat tolerance as this universal moral imperative. I mentioned this earlier. Where you know, they say that there is no universal morality, but they sure think that you have an obligation to tolerate all sorts of moral uh, behaviors that you think are wrong. Well, why do I have the obligation to tolerate? Because toleration is a moral virtue. And if morality is not real, if it's just made up, well, then in the same way you want to make up tolerance, I can deny tolerance. So... It's a little bit inconsistent when a moral relativist is advocating tolerance. If they want to advocate it for themselves, fine. But if they want to advocate it for anybody else, then they are contradicting their own moral philosophy. But what I would like to ask is, what does it mean to tolerate something? And what are we supposed to tolerate? Are we supposed to tolerate people or ideas and behaviors? Now today, the virtue of tolerance is often advanced as a, uh, a cover, if you will, for behaviors that have traditionally been viewed as immoral. So they say, well, you, you should tolerate a homosexual behavior. You should tolerate same-sex marriage. You should tolerate abortion. You should tolerate all sorts of these things that you've always thought were wrong, but you, now you should tolerate those things. And this makes some sense, Because after all, nobody would ever say that they tolerate something that's good. You would never say, well, I will tolerate your honesty or I will tolerate your love. No, we only tolerate the things that we consider to be bad. But then that, of course, raises the question, why should we tolerate things that are bad? Tolerance is a moral virtue, so we should exercise a moral virtue of allowing evil. Now, I think there is a place for tolerance that we should allow some things, but um, do we have a moral obligation to tolerate every form of bad? Are we being intolerant if we put our foot down on some behaviors and say that they're evil and should not be tolerated? Are we being intolerant if we say that pedophilia is morally wrong and cannot happen in this country, and if you do it, you'll be imprisoned for life or executed? or Do we have that moral obligation? I don't think so. Many will even claim that it's intolerant to even claim that you know the truth, because in claiming that you know the truth, you are implying almost explicitly that other people must be wrong. And if you're saying they're wrong— then that is intolerant. In order to be tolerant, you can't make any judgments about who has the right beliefs and who has the wrong beliefs. This is often applied, you know, to Christians where we'll come along because Christianity is a a claim about what is objectively true. And they'll say that, well, you can't say Christianity is true because then you're implying that all these other religions are false, What they're really saying is Christians can't believe that they are right. Well, (laughs) how tolerant is that? To be able to claim that you can't believe you're right. That's not very tolerant at all. In fact, the modern concept of tolerance and the way it's been applied has completely turned on its head. The historic definition of tolerance, historically speaking, Tolerance referred to how you treated people with whom you disagree. It didn't pertain to the ideas and the behaviors, at least not primarily. But now, tolerance is being applied not just to the people, but to the ideas themselves. We have to tolerate all ideas equally. We need to tolerate all behaviors equally. And indeed, in the process of doing so... The tolerance for the individual is often uh, goes by the wayside. Leftists are very intolerant of Christians, (laughs) of their person, as well as their ideas. They don't exercise tolerance when it comes to those that they disagree with. It's often a one-way street. Tolerance in the modern sense has come to mean... The acceptance of all views as legitimate or as true. Not that we simply respect those with whom we disagree and allow them to hold their point of view, but we have to somehow affirm their point of view as being valid, even if it's not the point of view we hold. But we can't say that anybody else's point of view is wrong. We have to accept all points of view. If you claim that you're right and somebody else is wrong, then you'll be called intolerant. But think about it. Tolerance implies disagreement. You can only tolerate those that you believe are mistaken. You don't tolerate those you agree with. If you believe that the grass is green and somebody else believes the grass is green, you don't tolerate them. You don't tolerate their belief. You agree with them. You agree with that belief. So in order to tolerate, you first have to make a judgment that the person is mistaken. So true tolerance requires a judgment that they are wrong, and then a further action to respect the individual, even though you disagree with their point of view. That is true tolerance, and that is the historic understanding of tolerance, But those who advocate this new modern sense of tolerance, um, they're being hypocrites. It's self-refuting because that person who holds that point of view, they think that they are right and they're claiming that you are wrong when they say you're being intolerant that's it's a judgment that they're making against you they think that the way they are responding to other people's ideas is the right response yours is the wrong response you simply cannot escape making judgments tolerance requires judgments so the notion that tolerance means that you are non-judgmental is just uh, completely mistaken. So the next time somebody's telling you that you're being intolerant for thinking that somebody else is wrong, acknowledge that you're right. I do think that I'm right and they're wrong, but so do you. Everybody does. (laughs) I like the way Greg Kokel said it. He goes, why is it that when I think I am right, I am being intolerant? But when you think you are right, you are just right. (laughs) That's so true, because that's exactly the attitude that is displayed. So genuine tolerance begins with equality of persons. It doesn't begin with equality of ideas. Persons are equal. Ideas are not. All people are created equal, but all ideas are not created equal. And I find it particularly amusing when moral relativists are advocating for tolerance. Because if there are no moral absolutes, why ought I tolerate anyone? They're telling me I should tolerate, but why? In the name of what? Why not just pass judgments on everybody and force my morality on other people? Because if there is no real right and wrong, then why not just push my points of view on other people. Why not force them into believing what I believe through force of law and and force of the gun? You know, it's, it, why not? If there is no moral absolutes, if there is no moral truth, that's actually the best reason to be intolerant, <laughs> because I can get away with it. There's something wrong with it. I'm doing nothing objectively wrong, but tolerance, as I said requires moral judgments. That's why it's strange for a moral relativist to be advocating for tolerance because you can only tolerate people that you think are wrong or that you think are bad. So you first have to know what is, um, you know, that something is objectively bad and, and be able to distinguish it from what is objectively good to even know what you should tolerate. So, It is quite strange when a moral relativist will advocate for tolerance. And let me make this last point, and that is that they're being hypocritical. Because relativists and other leftists, they don't tolerate those who believe in objective moral values. They don't tolerate those that have a different moral point of view. They're quite intolerant. But tolerance basically means you're not going to get your way. You're not going to be able to have everybody agree with you, so deal with it. That's what true tolerance is. And that's why tolerance ought to be a two-way street. But with the left and with moral relativists, the street only goes one way, their way. Well, that's a wrap for today. Tune in next week when I will round out this series on moral relativism by talking about judgmentalism. This has been one of the most misunderstood concepts, particularly from a biblical standpoint. People all the time want to cite Jesus, you know, judge not lest you be judged, but they have fundamentally misunderstood Jesus and fundamentally misunderstood the biblical teaching on judgmentalism. So tune in next week where I will set the record straight on judging. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.